0: And again, that's page 939 if you have one of the black hardcover Bibles. And as we read here, remember, we're reading God's Word. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh That's God's word. You may be seated. Well, guys, good morning. Um, I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but I'm a little under the weather, and so I'm going to do my best. I've got my magical concoction of uh, hot water and cough drops, so hopefully I will uh, make it through. You can pray for me as we go. I know a lot of other people are feeling sick, and it's just how life is, right? Right? But um, I'm excited that we can kick off this series, and in particular, um, how about last weekend? I mean, was that fun? Yeah, I mean, that was just the baptisms and uh, the stories and just how God worked in power, and it was just a really, really fun day. And that video on the Christmas offering and all that stuff, it was just a great day, and I wanted to just thank uh, so many of you for being here and for inviting friends, if you were here last week and that was your first time, welcome back. we're glad that you're here, and we'd love to be able to connect with you and get to know you and, and see what God has uh, as we begin to help you grow in your relationship with him. Um, so so that's, that, that was just a great week. I think part of why I'm sick and maybe a lot of other people are sick is just the crash from such a great week like that. Um, but last week the scripture was, or I'm sorry, the sermon was all scripture, and so there's no way. That this week can be better than that, right? This is just inherently going to be worse. All right. Like I realized, gosh, I just I can't I can't write a better sermon than that. So so this is going to be uh, not great. Um, so scripture <laughs> scripture only last week. This week preaching, wah, wah. Um, but we know from 1 Corinthians that God uses the the he, the, the apostle Paul calls it the folly of preaching to f- save those who believe. And God does that, and he speaks through uh, his servants. And so I'm trying to be a faithful one here today in that. I'm, I'm really excited that we get to start this series in Romans. This is going to be the longest series we've ever done. It's going to be about 70 weeks, uh, give or take, a little bit. And so it'll go more than a year, clearly. We'll, uh, we'll take a break when we get to Advent. So uh, just just hang in there. It'll be, it'll be really fun. This is a, a letter from the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul was a guy who, if you're new to this, Paul was a devout follower of Judaism. He was a very religious man. He was so religious and so devout in his Judaism that he even persecuted and oversaw the killing of Christians. And he was on his way to do more of that when, when he had an encounter with Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus knocked him off his horse, quite literally, and blinded him for a moment and and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he changed his name from Saul to Paul and gave him a new identity, a new definition, a new label. We'll look at some of that today. And so Paul then becomes this uh, very important uh, voice and leader in the church. And he begins to go around the world and to plant new churches, to start new churches, and to preach the gospel there. And then what he often does is he writes letters to follow up on the people he's ministered to and to follow up on the churches he started. And so the book of Romans is a letter of Paul to this church in Rome. Now, this particular one's a little different in that Paul had never been to the church in Rome. Paul didn't start the church in Rome. Uh, and at this point, Rome is like the major city of, of that world, right? This is like New York City is Rome. And Paul is writing to this small church that he's never met, probably because he's, he's, he's eventually on his way, we'll see this in chapter 15, he's eventually on his way to Spain. He's going to be traveling to Spain. He's, he's been basically in Turkey and that whole area, and he's preached the gospel in all these major cities and churches are established to the point where he says, I'm done here. I've done, I've done my work. Now I'm going to go and try to get to Spain. And uh, so he's writing this letter, likely to introduce himself to the church in Rome. They perhaps had heard of Paul because he was such a significant figure. But he's writing to introduce himself. Probably on his way to Spain, he wants to stop there and be encouraged by them and encourage them and possibly raise some financial support and some things like that. And so Paul is writing this letter. This is uh, his longest letter of all of the New Testament letters that he writes. And it was hand-delivered, interestingly, by Phoebe, it tells us in Romans chapter 16. Now, that's not Phoebe from Friends, uh, for those of you who are into that show. Uh, but Phoebe is a significant female leader in the church, and uh, Paul trusted her so, uh, in such a significant way that, that she hand-delivered this letter. And so this uh, letter has been significant in the life of the church historically. If you've ever heard of St. Augustine, Augustine was a a key leader. Protestants and Catholics both point to Augustine as a critical person. He was converted reading the book of Romans. Martin Luther, who launched the Protestant Reformation, didn't know he was going to be starting a separate movement, just wanted to reform the Catholic Church. But what led him to want to reform what was happening happening there is what he read in the book of Romans. In fact, here's what he says. Martin Luther says about Romans, it can never be read or considered too much or too well. And the more it is handled, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. And so that's what we're going to do over these, this next year plus is, is taste and see what the Lord has to say to us in the book of Romans. The theme of the book of Romans is Salvation and specifically the idea that salvation has both a vertical and a horizontal aspect to it. What I mean by that is, and you really see this if you jump down to chapter 1, verse 16. This is really kind of the theme verse of this whole book. He writes there, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. This book is, is primarily about salvation vertically this book is about how a person can be made right with God vertically how you can get to know God I don't know if you know this but but all of us come into the world separated from God and we we further distance ourselves by our sin and there's this huge need for us to be rescued for us to be saved and 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 so we need to be saved by God in a vertical sense and that's what this book is about but it's also about how God works horizontally did you see there in verse 16, where it said, "The Gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek." One of the things that's going on here in this church at Rome is, is a mixture of, of people with different religious backgrounds, Jew, some Jews, some Greeks and sort of pagan theologies and things like that. There's, there's a tension of ethnicities here, and in fact, in chapter nine verse, uh, or I'm sorry, chapter nine to chapter 11. Paul's going to address those things. And so what we see is that this gospel has incredible vertical application. If you want to know what it is to get to know God, this this letter is going to tell you. But it also is going to tell you how, how people from different backgrounds and different cultures can come together. It's also going to address some incredibly contemporary issues. In a number of weeks, we'll talk about a theology of homosexuality, which there's not perhaps a, a discussion there that could be more contemporary than that right now, and the book of Romans talks about it. The book of Romans talks about, uh, if you ever wondered, like, how come I do stuff that I know I shouldn't do, and I don't even really want to do it, but I keep doing it? You ever feel like that? The book of Romans talks about that. The book of Romans talks about where the power to really love people comes from. The book of Romans addresses how we're to understand government and the role that government should play. Again, a very timely question. So it's, a, it's an important book, and I'm excited that we're going to get into it. Here's how I want to get started, uh, though, today. is I, I wonder how many of you know what this is. Can you see that? What is this? It's a label maker, right? Do you have one of these? This is a wonderful tool. Because with label makers, you know what you do with them? You label stuff. <laughs> and uh, it's really cool. You can, you know, you can, there's like a keyboard here. You can kind of type in what you want and then print it. And you can put in different colors of paper. And, and you can label things. This is an incredibly valuable thing here on this campus because stuff just gets put wherever unless you have a label for here's where things go. And so labels can be very important. Labels tell you what things are. They tell you where things are. I've got one friend, and in their home, they, they labeled each light switch because, you know how you go into a house and there's like 47 light switches and you're never sure which one to hit, right? The very, very helpful idea. But labels are different. There's different kinds of labels than just this that you would sort of put around your home to, to put on a Tupperware bin or to label your Christmas ornaments or things like that. There's other kinds of labels in our culture. There's brand labels. Right? You see a Nike swoosh, that says something. You see a Mercedes Benz, I don't even know what that is, but you see it and you go, that means something. And, and there's all these brands, all these labels that communicate status, that communicate things. Right? So labels play an important role there. There's also the labels that, that we give to one another and the labels that we put on ourselves. And they can be helpful labels or they can be harmful and almost enslaving labels, right? Like, like in, in, in sports, for those of you that are sports fans, and this always is a risky move to use a sports analogy, but, but, but one of the best and worst labels that a, that a young athlete can get is that he has potential, right? It, it's great to get that label because he gets extra looks and he gets extra chances, But if after a while that potential isn't realized, then it becomes a harmful label. Oh, he was one of the guys that had potential, but he never really amounted to much. Matthew and I talk a lot about, and we talk a lot within our team here at church, about um, how how has God made us, and, and what are we good at, and what are we not good at, and we sort of assign these labels of strengths and weaknesses, and that can be really helpful. It can also be detrimental if you begin to just peg somebody. And just kind of box them in, and oh well, you're that, and you'll never get past that, right? So, so those kinds of labels. What sort of labels have you had in your life? I've I've had a number of labels. I'll just tell you about. Um, one was when I was uh, seven or eight years old. I took the label "goggle boy." Goggle boy. And uh, Goggle Boy was because I, uh, I got glasses and I played a lot of sports and I wasn't allowed to have regular glasses while I, wore, while I played sports. I had to have goggles. That's a miserable experience <laughs> if you ever had to do that. So I became Goggle Boy. I remember I took a different label in uh, eighth grade. I got braces and uh, I got one of those things in the top that's supposed to split your palate. You know what I'm talking about? Where you stick a key in there every night and it basically, you know, breaks apart your mouth. And so at the end of that experience, my label, the way I was known by my friends, was Gap Joe. Because I had a a gap in my teeth about that big. And it was brutal, right? The the pictures from that era, I have all my, my mouth is closed during all of those. I took on a different label when I got into high school. Some of you uh, will like this. Others of you will be horrified at this. But I took on a kind of cowboy label, and I bought a cowboy hat, and I had a big old buckle, and I had boots, and I would wear that to school voluntarily. <laughs> and, and, and I would, you know, listen to country music, and, and I kind of took on that label. That was a way I was known. Oh, you know Luke? Yeah, that idiot that wears a cowboy hat and a giant buckle to school, right? This was in suburban Denver, by the way, so it wasn't exactly like being in Queen Creek. When I got to college, the label I had was baseball player. That was how I was known. Student athlete, baseball player, right? You'd meet someone, and, and that's how you, that's, and again, that, that can be a great thing, right? That can give you some access. That can give you some interesting conversations. It can also be detrimental if people go, oh, I know what you're like. You're like one of those athletes. I got it. Now the label that I go by, that I don't, I don't choose this, I don't particularly even like it, but, but everyone gives it to me, is Pastor. Right, they, they hi, Pastor Luke, and, and I never reply, hi, Carpenter Bill. <laughs> hi, Flight Attendant Lucy, um, and I know that it's meant as a term of respect and a term of endearment, and and that's fine, but but I don't I don't necessarily desire that. You know, there's actually a place in Matthew 23 where Jesus is criticizing the the Pharisees because they they love to be called Rabbi. And so again, that's not a bad label. If you call me pastor, I'm not gonna scold you for that. I don't want you to take it that way. But but that's not necessarily a label that I'm going for, but it's one that other people have assigned to me. So as you think about your life in the past and now, what labels do you carry? Maybe some that are given to you, maybe some that you begin to adopt. And embrace. Some of you have carried labels for a long time that have been like, I'm dumb. I'm ugly. I'm unlikable. Others, it's been more positive. I'm invincible. I can do anything. And yet, we live out of those labels. Those labels end up defining us whether they come from other people or whether they come from within or some combination those labels shape who we are now the reason i go into all of that is because this first section of romans is paul introducing himself to a group of people that he doesn't know and he's telling them here's my label here's who i am here's what defines me the way that uh, letters worked in these days, right, is, is the person writing it would actually start by, you know, they'd start with their name. Now we close with our name, but here he starts with his name. And, and look at how he begins to label himself, to define himself in verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Actually, that word, you may have a footnote even there that says that that could be translated slave or bond servant. Paul a slave of Christ Jesus. Right? Paul had had a reputation. He's going, I'm not Paul the Christian killer. I'm not Paul the church planner. I'm not Paul the letter writer. I'm Paul the slave of Christ Jesus. That's the label he carried. And really what we see in this passage is that the, the Apostle Paul's label, what defined him was that he was a slave of Christ Jesus because of the gospel. And he's gonna begin in this book to unpack and discuss all that the gospel is. But, but what you get here is that that's what defined him. And, and it would be my prayer that that's what would define me. It would be my prayer for you that that's what would define you, that you would see yourself fundamentally Not as gap Joe, not as cowboy, not as engineer, not as stay-at-home mom, but as slave of Christ Jesus because of the gospel. That's what Paul's going to talk about here. And so let's just look into it here. Verse 1, Paul, a servant or slave of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle. That word apostle means uh, sent one. The apostles were people who had seen Jesus, who had had an encounter with Jesus, and who were specifically sent out with Jesus' authority um, to uh, preach the gospel and to cast out demons and in some cases to do miraculous works. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now we'll come back, I want to actually, what I want to do is I want to go into uh, these next few verses, because these next few verses tell you why Paul is so committed to being a slave of Jesus Christ, and then we'll come back to this idea of a label, we'll come back to how he sees himself in just a moment. So what Paul is committed to is Christ Jesus, serving him, being sent by him, being set apart for, what does he say there, the gospel of God. That word gospel means news, good news. And we talk a lot here about how there's a difference between advice and news. Advice is what most people think religion's about. Do this, don't do that. Be good, try hard, read your Bible, give, come to church, do, 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 do advice. Right? You can find lots of books, you can watch a lot of TV shows, and, and some advice is good, some advice is not. But what we really need is news. And that's what this message is. It's news. And and we'll see what this message is in just a moment. But this is good news about something that's happened. So rather than it being do, 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 the gospel is done. Here's what Jesus has done for us. Now Paul in this passage is going to give us six things about the gospel. And you're just going to see these right in the text. Six things about the gospel that shaped him into taking on this, this label, this identity of being a slave of Christ Jesus. First thing we see about the gospel is that it's God's. It's God's. It comes from God, right? Do you see in verse one? Set apart for the gospel of God. This is God's message. This is not just Paul's message. All right, this is not just my message or our church's message. When you when you trace this back, you, you eventually get to God, right? Have you ever gotten an email and it was just this whole long chain? And, you know, you sort of scroll through and scroll through to find out who is the knucklehead that started this thing in the first place, right? And, and you eventually get back and there's one person. Well, if we trace back all the people who have ever preached to you the gospel, told you this good news about what God has done in the world in history through Jesus. If you trace it back, you don't, you know, it doesn't end with Billy Graham. It doesn't end with Martin Luther. It doesn't end with Augustine doesn't end with Paul, it's it's God's. This is God's message. What we're going to look at in this book is good news from God. And that's the best kind of news. Because I I don't want to just know what do you think. I want to know what does God say? What is God doing in the world? The gospel comes from God. Here's the second thing. The gospel was promised in the Old Testament scriptures. Look at verse 2. The gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. That's what we were looking at last week on Easter with the history of redemption. is all this Old Testament prediction that that a Savior would come. That Jesus would come. So this was promised beforehand. From Genesis 3.15 where God says, I am going to crush the head of the serpent. From from that point on, this book is not about you It's not just about moralistic lessons to learn. It's pointing to Christ. It's promised beforehand. It's from God. It's promised beforehand. And number three, it's about Jesus. The gospel is about Jesus. The gospel is not primarily about cleaning your life up. It's not primarily about giving you hope. It's not primarily about in any way, not even primarily or at all, about making you wealthy or successful or rich. The gospel is about Jesus. Look at verse 3. Actually, I'll back up again to verse 1 just so we keep reading it. Set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures, concerning his son. Concerning his son. The message of Christianity is about Jesus. Jesus. So if you're here today as someone that is exploring what it might look like to follow Christ, first of all, you need to understand, we are so glad you're here. This is a great environment. And I, I think as you get connected with people, you'll be encouraged that, that you can process things and ask questions. But here's what you need to know. Christianity is fundamentally about Jesus. It's not fundamentally about cleaning up your act or about joining some political movement. It's about Jesus concerning his son. And then he's going to tell us four things about his son, about Jesus from this passage. Verse 3. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. So, so Jesus lived on earth. Jesus was a real living human being, a descendant of David. Verse 4. And was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So he was resurrected in power. He lived As a human being, he was resurrected, declared to be son of God. He had always been son of God, but but his resurrection proved this sort of exclamation point. He's victorious. Was declared to be son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ. That's the third thing. Christ. And you hear that word a lot, right? You hear Jesus Christ, and sometimes you think, well, that must have been his last name. Right? Like Luke Simmons, Matthew Brazelton. Right? And it, that wasn't his last name. That was a title. The word Christ means Messiah. It means anointed one. It, ref- <coughs> it refers to all that the Old Testament scriptures had pointed to. So this is a title. Jesus is, is lived a real life, was resurrected from the dead, victorious over Satan, sin, and death, was the Messiah, Christ, and is also finally our Lord He's he's not just the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who would save his people, but he's also Lord. He reigns. He rules. He's in charge. The gospel is about Jesus. So the gospel, verse one, is God's. Verse two was promised beforehand. Verse three uh, through uh, four was about Jesus. Here's the fourth thing about the gospel. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship, To bring about the obedience of faith. The gospel brings about the obedience of faith. The the desire that God has is to eventually make us people who obey him and love him and trust him by faith. Think about this for your kids for a moment, right? Many of you are parents or grandparents. And you have the experience of of daily some frustration when your kids don't do what you want. Right? Right? Benjamin, does that ever happen to you, buddy? Like you sometimes don't do what mom and dad tell you? Yeah. And I bet, I bet every once in a while they get frustrated by that. Is that right? Yeah, that happens. Right, and you just so desperately want your kid to do the right thing. You want them to do what you tell them. But, but here's the thing. You don't just want them to do what you tell them, do you? I mean, in the moment, like, Yes, just do what I tell you, right? But, but what you really want is you want them to do what, what you tell them, and you want them to trust you. You want them to do it because they trust you, because they love you, because they respect you. And it's the same thing. What, what this is saying is that this good news, this gospel, has come from God. It was promised beforehand. It's about Jesus. And what it's leading to is it's bringing about the obedience of faith. It's bringing about people who do what God tells them to because they trust him, because they have faith. right? Sometimes people will sort of uh, talk as though faith and obedience are mutually exclusive or aren't connected. Or if, you're, if you focus on obedience, you're, you're neglecting faith. And if you focus on faith only, then you neglect obedience. Paul here is saying the whole point of all this is it's leading to, to the obedience of faith. For the sake of his name, that's the fifth thing. So there's, a, there's an obedience that comes as we trust God, and it's for the sake of his name. Again, think about a name. We talked earlier about the, the labels we wear, the brands that we wear, right? And, and there's name brands, right? And, and we get very intrigued by name brands, And what he's saying is the brand that you care about, the brand that this gospel is all about, the name that we carry is the name of Jesus. The obedience of faith for the sake of his name, for him. Paul's saying, that's who I want to live for. That's who I care about for the sake of his name. And then last, number six, among all the nations, the gospel is available to all peoples. The word nations could also be translated peoples or people groups. It means Jews and Gentiles, anyone who knows their need. And Paul goes on in verses 8 through 15 to talk about that this is why he's been traveling the world. This is why he hopes to come to Rome and encourage them. This is why in verse 14, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I'm eager to do this around the world. I'm eager to to make the name that I carry, make the label that defines me be Jesus. Because Jesus has given us this good news. It was promised beforehand. It's all about him. It leads to trusting obedience for his sake. And it's available to anyone. It's interesting. This is, in all of Paul's letters, the longest introduction. A lot of times he just says, Paul, servant of Christ, to those who are in Philippi, grace and peace. But here, it's like he can't get enough of describing who God is and what God has done. So what's Paul's label? Go back to verse 1. Paul, a servant, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Now, I just find it interesting there that you couldn't have two labels be more different from each other. The first one is a slave. right? A slave is someone that has no rights. A slave is someone that the master says, jump. Slave says, how high? And he says, I see myself as a slave of Jesus. And then he also says, I'm also called to be an apostle. An apostle is like a big deal. But, But do you get the order do you see the order? Right? See, the gospel produces both both humility and boldness, but do you see the order? Do you see who Paul fundamentally sees himself as? Whether he stops being apostle or not, he sees himself as a slave of Christ Jesus. Is that what defines you? We're all a slave to something. It's just a question of what. I want to um, show you a picture I'm here, and uh, I'm, this is a, a picture um, painted by a guy named Charlie uh, who's in prison in Florence. And our uh, the lead pastor at our Redemption Arcadia congregation, Frank Switzer, has done ministry uh, in the prisons and things like that and has known Charlie for a long time. And for, from time to time, uh, we'll ask Charlie and some of the other inmates to paint something, to paint a picture based on a particular thing. And so this is a picture Uh, that Charlie painted, and then Charlie wrote a letter uh, to the church to say, here's what inspires this painting, here's what this is about. Perhaps you even saw this already on the website. It was posted on one of the blog posts. But, But here's what Charlie said. He said, the inspiration for this painting came from the first verse of Romans, wherein Paul refers to himself as a servant of Christ. Upon closer inspection, I found the Greek word for servant is doulos, and the literal definition is a person owned as a possession, in other words, a slave. I can understand why Bible translators chose instead to use the word servant. Slavery is not an aspiration for most people. As I investigated deeper, I was surprised to learn that doulos can refer to a slavery that is both involuntary and voluntary. A voluntary slave? Who in their right mind would volunteer to, as Oxford defines slavery, be a victim to a dominating influence? Now, hold on. Before you read this next chunk, remember, this is a guy in prison that's writing this, okay? He says, as I investigated, or No sooner had I pondered this when I thought how my morning devotional was now consuming way too much time and keeping me from the things I had to do. Almost immediately I saw the irony. It's not something I like to admit, but when my eyes see clearly and my heart is honest, I am in slavery to a slew of things, and in fact, I enter voluntarily into all of them. I work beyond what is healthy because I'm a slave to money, even in prison. I sleep less than I need because I'm a slave to worry. Every morning I wake up with freedom before me, then so easily handcuff myself to anger jealousy, lust, and revenge. Before my eyes have even adjusted to the light of dawn, I'm slapping on the chains of fear, power, or pride, and then ironically to condemnation because I know I should allow none of these to be a dominating influence. Even as I pen this, I feel the need to explain that I'm not a slave to these all the time, but only now and then so that people won't think poorly of me. That's because I'm also a slave to the opinion of others. At the moment, it seems the only thing I'm not enslaved to is the one thing I should be. The slavery Paul gave his life to. Slavery to Christ. A slavery that paradoxically brings freedom from my other dominating influences. The question is not if we'll be enslaved, but to what we'll be enslaved. We are never untethered. We may be attached to some things more weakly than others. But whether it's by a chain or a string, we are always attached. See, listen, the question is not whether you'll be labeled, whether you'll be a slave, whether you'll carry a particular name. That's not the question. We're going to see in Romans here, this idea of worship, this idea of devotion is not optional. Everyone does it. The question is... What defines you? What label do you carry? What are you going to worship? What are you going to be a slave of? And my invitation to you as we begin to study this book and as we begin to push into what this is is that you would consider the idea that you will find more freedom becoming a slave to Jesus Christ than if you became a slave to your own freedom. God's at work. God has given this news. It's about Jesus. He's raised him from the dead. He's spreading it all over the world. We get to be part of it. Will you carry his name? Let's pray together. Father, thank you.